welcome to the Philip Show. Mm. I guess it's kind of, it's sort of morning. I don't know. But the weather is changing and I'm sure it's changing where you are too. And I'm super excited because I love sweater weather. I don't know if you've seen that. I don't know if it's Mad TV or uh, Saturday Night Live where they're talking about sweater weather, but look it up. It's very, very, very funny. So our show, we talk about journeys and we talk about the how and the who behind um, what we see, what we hear, what people are actually doing. As you know, a lot of the things that have been in your life have helped to shape who you are, shape your perspective, a lot of times shape your, your profession. Why are you so passionate about doing what you're doing? How did you gravitate towards that? And what makes you successful? Now, I know a lot of people have some different talents. I have my very own. And our guest today has many talents, many interests, and I am so excited to jump into it. Please welcome author, William D. Cornwell III. William. Hey, how's it going? Hi, good. <laughs> I know I had all these things that I was going to say about you, and then it was like, oh, he does this and this and this and this and this. And I was like, well, let's just introduce him. You can tell himself. Huh? <laughs> well, life's too short not to have passions, man. <laughs> life's too short not to have passions. I know. So I want to try and get as much as we can in, but the the goal for me is I'm so interested in knowing who you are and who is this person with all of these passions, with all of this, you know, just stuff going on. Now you're an author, but where did yeah. you grow up? I grew up right here in Dayton. Like in I was, you know, born and raised here, spent most of my life just, you know, I am lived in Beaver Creek, um, went to uh the went to Valley Elementary, went to Dayton Christian Middle School and High School. I'm I'm Dayton, you know. You're Dayton. <laughs> let, me, let me do this. For the people out there and the people in the back who um, may not know where Dayton is or what Dayton is, because we have people listening and watching from all over. As a creative writer, give a short description of Dayton, Ohio. Go. Oh, wow. Putting the challenge on me there. Uh, Dayton is, 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 is one of those places where it's, a great city for finding everything that's American mm. because we have a great split between both sides of a political spectrum. We have um, some things that are very East coast, some things that are very West coast. Um, and I think that if you wanted to have a city that kind of encapsulates a little bit of all of America, I think Dayton's yeah. a good place for that. It's, but even with the accent, um, mm. a little factoid I know is that oh. Ohio and and parts of Pennsylvania um, were actually targeted for being the best places to put call centers because we have the least recognizable accent. So everyone that. in America can understand an Ohio's accent or Ohioan accent. <laughs> I believe that. Let me tell you a funny story. I, um, of course, I'm from Ohio, but I moved to Atlanta, but I'm from here for forever. So I was in Atlanta for quite some time and their accent is very different in the, mm -hmm. in the South. It's just very different. I didn't know it was so noticeable. So I was speaking to my mom on the phone and she was, she was asking me questions like, what did you say? <laughs> like, You've been in Atlanta too long. And I, I had no idea that we had an accent and people were telling me like, Oh, it sneaks up on you. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> well, that was a good overview. I, I totally agree of Dayton. I find it to be artsy kind of, industrial a little bit yeah yeah um, suburban sort of you know it's kind of like the mix of so many so many different so many different uh, things 
in writing terms that we could call it a microcosm, which is like mm-hmm. a smaller version of a bigger issue or a bigger idea. So it's a little, so Dayton's kind of a microcosm. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. You're right. And there's so many things go- going up here. But anyway, I didn't want to do a big plug. Shout out to Dayton, Ohio. But I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do a big plug for them. But one of the things that's so interesting, much like myself and everybody else who has a story, you know, it starts from, something. You know, a lot of times we'll have um, things that happen in our childhood that we'll look back on and say, I think this was birthed out of that. Now, you've had a very interesting uh, childhood and a lot, some people may say it's traumatic. Your mother had cancer. Yeah, twice, um, among other medical problems, but yeah. So tell me about your, uh, tell me about your childhood and what was that like as a young person dealing with things that are kind of stereotypically adult issues. That's that's a great um, way to phrase that question because that's looking back at it as a, like as I'm 40 years old now and I'm looking back at it and I can see a lot of things that I didn't realize as a kid. Mm. A lot of things that I thought as a kid were my responsibility and things I could change, but I'm looking back and I go, I couldn't have done anything. Mm. Um, like when I was growing up, um, when my mom, my mom had had medical problems before breast cancer and uter- and other things. And so by the time, like I became like a kid and started aware of stuff, a lot of this stuff was already in progress. And, and she had um, like um, chemical depression from the cancer treatments and things like this. And the one thing that kind of st- still sticks in my mind and is, I think a lot of, it has a lot of responsibility for how I turned out as a person. Okay. Is when I was young, like I got to, I got to say elementary school, I'm thinking around nine or 10, you know? And I remember my sister and I coming home from school and you know, at that age, like school's fun at that age, you know, yeah. you're, you're full of energy and you're like, yeah, we did art today. And I got these drawings and all this stuff. And I, you know, I want to, you know, I want to tell my dad, I want to tell my mom and, you have all the, and I remember having all that energy and going through the front door and my mom is just lying on the couch sobbing. Like she's crying. Mm. And immediately my, my sister and I, cause we're little kids and we're like, mom, what's wrong? Did you hurt yourself? Um, and she's trying to explain depression to nine year old me and eight, mm. you know, my sister, Amy, and we, we don't understand. You yeah. Know? That's a bit, that's an adult concept. Yes, it is. Um, but be, but because we're kids, we saw a, we saw a problem. Mommy's sad. We should cheer her up, you know, because mom does that to us. Mm. And so I took my sister, and we fight we fight like cats and dogs most do of the sister and I when we were kids. We were always back and forth because that's that's what you do with siblings, right? Yeah. But you have that you have that moment that sibling alliance where you like look at each other and say, okay, we're not going to fight. This is important. Mm. So my sister and I had one of those moments where we both went upstairs. We got old socks. We got a cardboard box. We got um, markers and stuff. And we made a pup- puppets and a puppet show. And we did that for I don't know how long. And we we came downstairs. We were all excited. We were gonna we were gonna fix the problem. We put the cardboard box up. We had our puppets going back and forth. And my mom was laughing while still crying. She was sobbing and laughing at the same time. And I remember as a kid that moment was like, how can people be sad and happy at the same time? Mm. Like those, those aren't the same things. Yeah. And 
a part of me was like, well, at least I gave her a little bit of happiness. You know, she's sad. I don't understand why I can't fix that, but at least I gave her a little bit of happiness. Mm. And that's a, that's a, a memory of mine that like, I think kind of ties everything in because I've always been interested in people and emotion. And I think it started there when I was trying to fix someone's emotions, you know, mm. something that as a kid, I thought was a problem you could fix because as a kid, you know, I scratched my, you know, knee, I cry. My mom says something nice and I feel better. Yeah. You know, it's all better. can yeah. be fixed. Um, and from there, I just, I started thinking about people and I started thinking about these are problems that are so much bigger than I am. You know, and then I started thinking about myself. It's like, oh man, you know, when I make a mess, like that's a problem. I'm making more problems when they have these big problems. Yeah. And because of that, I kind of made myself into a quieter person because I didn't want to burden them. I didn't want to add to problems. Hmm. And a lot of the things that I thought would be disruptive. I kind of turned in on myself. And because of that, I picked hobbies that were quieter, you know, or took me away from, from the house. Like I spent a lot of time walking in the woods because I knew, okay, I'm not in the house. I can't cause a mess. I can't cause a problem. So in your perspective was um, not causing problems kind of diminishing your presence. Was it for you to remove yourself or how did you besides going for a walk in the woods, was everything kind of to separate so there would be no opportunity or was there like a quiet skill? I think in my mind at the time, it was more about, you know, you have all this energy as a kid and you want to run, you want to play, you want to do all these things. Um, and adults have to spend energy to kind of keep up with you. Mm. And I think at some, some level as a kid, I kind of realized that at a certain point after wow. that event. And so I, so if I, if I, if I'm less energetic, I can't knock things over. I can't cause problems. I can't do this. I can't do that. And so I ended up doing a lot of reading. I spend a lot of time with video games because I can keep quiet doing those. I spend a lot of time outside because it meant that they didn't have to worry about me as much, which is funny nowadays. Cause like kids go outside and the parents are like, Oh my God, I haven't heard from their cell phone in 15 minutes. Where are they? Are they going to yeah. die? <laughs> It's We're, a different world. Me growing, yeah. world. I growing up, it's like, you know, okay, get home from school, dump my book bag, go outside and come back when it's dark. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Back, <laughs> you know, back in the day, it's like, if you're inside, that's a problem. Like, why are you in here? Oh Let's yeah. Inside was boring, man. You know, yeah. there were sticks to throw and <laughs> yeah, right. animals to chase, you know, I, all sorts of fun stuff. So you're navigating, you're navigating through all that and you're kind of, I don't want to use the word assimilating, but you're picking up different hobbies and things based on how you're perceiving your presence and what this is going to do, how it's going to be a benefit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, this is this very childlike view that it's, yeah. you know, it's my, suddenly I have a responsibility that isn't really mine. Um, because these are problems that are even bigger than adults can fix, you know, like depression and cancer. These are things that are just a part of life. But as a kid, I just, I had this this notion, you know, that it was part of my responsibility. And I think that made me, um, in a lot of ways, a much more serious kid than other kids. Okay. And that also put distance on me. And so growing up, I didn't have a lot of close friends hmm. um, because I didn't see a lot of people dealing with the kind of stuff I dealt with. And I didn't want to burden them with the things that were happening to either right. because I was very focused on this, you know, don't 
don't cause problems for other people. There's all these big issues that I can't fix and maybe they can fix him if I stay out of the way. And that was like a big part of who I was. And so I didn't, I didn't have a lot of close friends. I had like semi close friends. And even then, like I kept the friends just so my parents wouldn't worry about me sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I have friends there over there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, so while you were doing and while you were, kind of finding your way, because it seems like there is, I'm so interested in the identity per, per, a component there, because it's almost like you're finding out who you are, but in the, um, as you have an effort, a concerted effort to manufacture or to be very deliberate and intentional with how you're performing or what's yes. being done yeah. and how it's being, uh, how people around you are impacting that. And then you're into, you said, Video games. Clearly, you're a creative writer. You got a book out, and we're going to talk yes. about that. But um, you're uh, you video games. You love Star Wars. You love so many things that are very, very creative. Why? Why does that capture your attention? The kind of more exciting creative part. Um, I think it all went back to again that puppet show where it was that idea of creating something for other people. Yeah, for creating something to someone else and having an emotional reaction from it. Yeah. And because that was such like a key memory to my childhood and growing up, I think a, it was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to write something or produce something or paint something that that could cause an emotional reaction that could connect to someone. And someone could say, hey, I felt that before. I've been there before. Mm -hmm. And to bring that emotion forth, like the, the book that I that I'm trying to market and publish is it's a very emotional story. It's a story about um, about a, a, a person giving up their past and trying to find where they exist in a new, in a new world, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's about having power, but not feeling like you're the right person to have that power. And it's very, and, and I wrote that because I found it myself emotionally compelling and I wanted to make a connection. I wanted to present to people, here's something I find emotionally connecting. I want it to be connect, like emotionally compelling. I want it to be compelling to you too. I want it to connect to you too. Through everything that you do, you're clearly a storyteller. And mm -hmm. what you just described about what this book is, it sounded, and let me know if, I, if I'm wrong, <laughs> but it sounded a lot like the person that you were describing when you were younger. Like the characteristics, um, is there any sort of correlation? I mean, I think when any author writes, they incorporate some pieces of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a little opposite because myself as a kid, I felt like I didn't have any power. And that was a, and, and I was just like trying to make way for the people who did. In my book, it's very opposite. My, my main character has a lot of, power she has she's it's a superhero book so she's like a former supervillain and so she has the opposite problem of having a lot of power but not having but not feeling like she's responsible enough to have that power gotcha and that sounds it sounds like it reminds me you know I, like even as you say it it reminds me of you know a child who has the responsibility but it shouldn't be their responsibility but here they are and now it's like ah okay yeah, what do we do? yeah that's neat I, I just think that's neat. 
I love it. You're making connections that I didn't think about. And that's, that's getting my mind worried now. You <laughs> <laughs> said worried. No, I think it's really great because sometimes here, listen, for me, um, I also am creative. I do songwriting and um, oh, awesome. I'm a producer and things like that. But I can look at certain things that I've created unintentionally. I can look back now and say, oh, that sounds just like this. Yeah, because there's yeah, yeah. something familiar about it, whether I did it intentionally or whether it wasn't like this heartbreak sounds very familiar. Why is that? Oh, my goodness. That's what happened. You know, or this sounds very agitated. Mm -hmm, that agitates me, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I'd love to see those those little those little threads. Uh, let me let's talk about some movies. OK, let's talk about some movies. So what kind of movie buff are you? And then we're going to get to your um, back to your book. <laughs> So I'm 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 a I'm a bit of an eclectic mm -hmm. um when it comes to movies. There's um my mom and I actually bonded a lot over watching the the Turner Classic Movie Channel, if you're aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, and all the these old movies from like the 30s and 40s and and earlier, uh, black and whites, you know, we get you get things like early Cary Grant and uh, William Powell and mm. and um Henry Fonda, which was Jane Fonda's father. Okay. Um, and the thing that, again, this is, I, I'm very much a storyteller, as you were saying. Yeah. The thing I love about watching these older movies is they're there before like algorithms and, you know, production like mm. guidelines came into play. And so there was a lot of experimentation. Yeah. Um, and we lost a lot of like genres and ideas when, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the history of Hollywood, but there was a thing called the uh, the Catholic Women's League, I believe. No, I'm not and basically in the in the 1930s, um, Hollywood was getting more money. They were getting more production values, and they were tackling some pretty heavy social issues of the time. They were started tackling racism and um, and sexism and abortion and things that we still like are heavily debating. You know what 70 years later yeah um well actually uh, almost 100 years later for some of those jeez mm, yeah <laughs> <I'm> getting old <laughs> um we but won't we won't tell <laughs> but at the time they were starting they were having the they were starting to push that power of instead of having all your morals from the church or all your morals from the from like the schools and the government there was this third branch that could give you morality and give you store, give you um, ideas of truth and justice through stories. And Hollywood was just beginning to, to present that. And because they were dealing with these issues that nobody else wanted to talk about or present in these ways, um, the Catholic, like um, the Catholics and other uh, organizations banded together in the, in the guise of this Catholic women's league. And they marched to Hollywood and say, you you must ab abide by these things. Don't show these things, or we'll cause all the churches to boycott movies. And Hollywood was basically blackmailed into going by a strict set of guidelines for I think about 25, 30 years. Oh my! Like up until late seventies, I think is when they finally broke free of the of the the league. Um, and so there was this great, um suppression of ideas and creativity suddenly all this bursting bountiful um experimentation that had gone in the like 30s and, and early 40s was 
killed off and it was replaced by this metric of what you can show and what you can't show. And so those early movies are fascinating to me because they present different storylines. They present different ideas, things that bent genre and bended it in ways you don't see anymore. Um, one of my favorites is a, is a, a genre called screwball comedies. Hmm, um, and these are, these are, um, these are comedies where the main focus of the comedy is a woman like coming into a situation that was very static and breaking everything apart. Hmm. Uh, there's a classic one called bringing up baby with, um, 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 not Audrey Hepburn, the other Hepburn. Um, I can't remember her name right now, but she plays this very eccentric person who is in possession of a pet Jaguar and she's just wrecks this poor museum worker's life. <laughs> and it's so chaotic and it's so energetic and they embrace the silliness mm. and this kind of like this, like they tell you at the very beginning, like the premise is silly. The characters are silly. This isn't to be taken seriously. And I I miss that a lot out of our modern movies because we modern um filmography and even streaming services, they they don't take these risks. They don't try to push into things that are new or different or blend genres that haven't been blended before, or yeah. try characters like putting characters together that, you know, may like maybe they shouldn't work. Like um like Humphrey Bogart, Humphrey Bogart, everyone knows who Humphrey Bogart is. You know, mm -hmm. he's the classic noir guy, but he used to play a thug until another director said, you know, I want him for this role. I'm going to try something new, try something different, Get, you know, make him, make him the detective instead of the thug. Mm, and gotcha. so there were a lot of, it was a lot of just, just trying new things. And there's so much as a storyteller to be gleaned from them because their story structures were different. Their, their ideas were different. Their, presentations were different it was so i love watching like older movies i <laughs> know uh, i could sit here and listen all day because i don't i don't know a lot about the history of movies uh, but it's interesting how you can see that and see the change and the transition from then to now i would imagine um that there's some literary changes too from different authors and how these things are influencing you have your book return to two town that yes. is yeah so would you say, there's two questions. For that book, how does that fit into the conversation that we're having now? And what does that book say about your writing style? Um, I think the biggest thing that I would say about it is I, I like, um, you turn to Two Town, I've done is one of many novels I've done that I call after stories okay. where yeah, I take like the big story that you're used to seeing in the movie theaters or you're used to reading in the books and I play and I, and I pick up the threads of what happened after. And this story is all about, um, well, in relating to it to the, well, I'll, I'll, sorry, skipping for a second, but yeah. relating it to the movies, it was that experimentation, that trying different genres, trying different ideas, like moving beyond the like very static. Here's the, the big story. Here's the big, the big narrative arc um, in taking from those old movies. I, I like, I like focusing on what happens after mm. and return to two town is all about what happens after um, in a superhero story. When, you know, the supervillain has been caught, he's been thrown in the insane asylum. What happens after that? What happens when 
the supervillain works through their problems, what happens when they get released and the whole world hates them because of what they did. Wow. Like, how do they make friends? How do they find their new identity when they've been this, someone else their entire life? Like, all of these questions, like, I would watch movies like Batman movies and go, well, what would happen if, you know, like, what like what happens to those those villains in Arkham? Like, yeah. the ones that get better. Because we always see the villains get thrown in Arkham, then they break out and they're still bad. It's like, well, isn't there, like, a few that, you know, got <laughs> therapy and it made them better? <laughs> Did somebody get rehabilitated? <laughs> Yeah. And like, and like, so that gives us like, it's like, I've never seen that story. Like, I want to know what happens in that story. And when I write, a lot of it comes from that. It comes from, I've never seen that story. And that's the story I want to see. And so, well, if I can't find it, I'll just write it, mm. you know? And so Return to Two-Town is just one, of, is just that. It's, it was a story I'd never seen. Um, and I wanted to find a way to present it to people because it was something I wanted to see. Mm. And in the way I create, um, like I had that idea a long time ago, but the way I create is I need kind of a set of different items. And so I had the the basic premise of the idea of, but I didn't have a good character okay. and I didn't have, and because I didn't have the character, I don't know where the ending's going to be. And so those pieces kind of fall into place over time, you know, as I see other things and I question other things. And I think, as a writer, the the biggest thing is questioning things. It's looking for, um, like you look at a movie and you start asking questions like, what happened to that character? Or what happened after this? Or why did they do, like, why did they make the arc of this direction at that point? What were they trying to do? And even if it's a bad movie, like, I don't know if you're f familiar with Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm -hmm. You ever heard of yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. I love those because the bad movies are great at illustrating what not to do <laughs> as a writer, <laughs> you know, as a, as a as a storyteller. It's like, and sometimes that's even more valuable because watching a really good movie over and over again only tells you that they did a really good job making that movie. It doesn't tell you a lot about why. Yeah. And it's it's that questioning. It's like, why is this bad? Why is this good? Why... Why did that character do that? You know, and I think it, it's something that I've seen in, in connection with art. We're very inquisitive people, artists. We mm. we want to explore things. We want to we want to engage with people we've never we've never talked to. We want to go places we've never been. And I think it's that that questioning, that inquisitiveness, that's kind of a core piece of being an artist. Mm. What is your <clears throat> writing genre? I'm. I like speculative fiction for the okay. most part. Um, so anything that kind of um, uh, is a little bit outside reality. I like it because when you play with the rules of society and you can change them, you can ask new questions and you can kind of focus thematically on things. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the one of the reasons I gravitated towards science fiction when I was reading growing up was because they presented these kind of social ideas. And they would like change a piece of the world as we live in and then be like, well, what happens to people if we do this? What happens in lives if we do this, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of my stories build like are built on either throwing a normal person into an abnormal world or taking an abnormal person and and letting them loose on the normal world. <laughs> gotcha. But. I do, that is, I'm not completely confined to that. I've written, um, I have at least one novel that 
you know, unpublished, but one I wrote uh, for Nano, uh, the National Novel Writing Month. I wrote, I wrote one that was just a strict um, medieval fiction, no magic, no special things. It was just a character story. So I'm, I just float around. I just, it's all just going after those questions, going after ideas and characters that I find fascinating and compelling and putting them together and making my own world. For Return to Two Town, that is your newest release. What is something that you want people to get out of the book? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> what do Thank I want you. people? Um, it's a very it's a very emotion heavy story. So I mm -hmm. think what I want the most is for people to not only see something they've never seen before, but being able to connect with the main character and even the side characters and understand the struggle of kind of being the outsider. Um, because almost everyone in Return to Two Town is an outsider. Like they exist outside the bubble of superhero and supervillain. They're the side characters. They're the people no one thinks about. You know, I've I have one character who's basically the super janitor. He goes up and he cleans up the messes from after battles and make sure that the very dangerous items don't get out to to cause more problems and yeah. he lives in a warehouse full of all these oddball things that he's stolen basically from other heroes and villains after they've battled just so it can't be used to hurt anyone else and it's it's the it's all those outsiders those people you know who we rely on but don't think about or don't um consider in our daily lives and i thought that as a superhero in a superhero world, there's so much focus on these bigger than life characters that having a story that revolved all around the outsiders of that society of that great conflict would just be fascinating to explore. Mm. And I think because of that, I think what I want is to find those other people who were outsiders who felt like maybe they didn't quite fit with where they grew up, or maybe they didn't quite, fit with their family or they didn't quite fit in the city they live in mm. and that kind of um existence and that kind of loneliness that that very personal loneliness um that serves to both kind of keep you isolated but also give you like a unique perspective of the world and a yeah. unique look out on the, the things around you and also give you that connection with other people who've been through that mm. like an isolated person can connect with another isolated person. It's like, yeah, I know, I know that I know those feelings. And it was interesting because, um, I know you, you recently had an interview with Colleen and we're both part of the right writers group. And we had a, a, a person come in a while ago that dealt, that worked with the homeless and oh. offered them like, uh, material support and medicines and things like that. And it was fascinating to talk to him after just writing this, because the things he brought up about, being it being outside society and being kind of removed from what people consider to be civilization and the perspectives he brought and the and the things I had just tried to explore meshed really well. Like there were a lot of things like, yeah, I get that. And it was really good for me for validating me as a writer. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I just wrote about that. I would be devastated if I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very validating to say yeah like what what I'm exploring you know even if it's in a, a fantastic world of superheroes 
the the personalities and the ideas and the struggles that people are going through that's very real mm. william i'm so glad that you um came number one i'm so glad that you took time out of your schedule to sit and chat with me but thank you so much for being transparent with how you grew up and how it's so interesting. I keep saying it's interesting, but just to put the pieces together, I love how you're passionate about people understanding the story and being able to relate to people that may have similar stories. And this is the power of storytelling and you're a storyteller. You know, so this is the reason why connectivity is so important. This is the reason why I guess representation, you know, is so important for somebody to be listening, to be reading, to be watching and say, hey, I went through that. Hey, that's me. Hey, there's hope for me. Hey, somebody's like me. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I love it. And I, I'm, I'm so um, glad that you were transparent enough to share it but that you're bold and brave enough to continue, you know, to write and you have a platform where you can inspire, create, and, you know, help so many people. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something that kind of grew up with, with me being older, you know, it's like when yeah. I was younger, I could have never come to the show. I could have never shown my face. I could have never talked about my past, but I'm yeah. 40 years old now. <laughs> yeah. Like, a lot of the things it's like the, I realized the real power is in honesty. Mm. Um, and I think in writing and in real life, if you are, have you have the like mental and emotional toughness to be like, yeah, this is who I am. If you don't like it, I don't care. <laughs> like yes. this is, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. I, I can't change who I am just to impress somebody or I shouldn't change who I am just to impress yes. somebody. And in writing, there's a lot of honesty too. Um, one of my favorite authors is Terry, is the late Sir Terry Pratchett. And he was a fantastic comedy writer and emotional commentator on the world. Like he took on so many really tough issues and kind of shined the light of what's at the core of the problem, what's really what really are we debating here when you cut everything else away? And he did this in a fantastical world where he, with trolls and, and goblins and things like that. But if you read it, you can see, oh, this isn't about, you know, trolls versus dwarves. This is about racism in, a, in you know, in a, in a society, you know? Yeah. And you read about this other thing. It's like, oh, this isn't about, um, this isn't about like the, the, this fantastical, like magical, um, message service this is about like the rise of corporate um corruption and and taking media and using it against the world and so he had this way of making these fun fantastic fantasy stories but then cutting to the core of things that that were serious and mm. and very um important to our world as we know it and i think it's in writing that's we're, we're kind of telling a thousand lies to reveal a very important truth yeah. um it's it's we want to speak to society but we're doing it in a fun way we're doing it in a way where we're not sitting up on a podium and we're preaching yeah and i think that that's important and i think that's where entertainment comes in and i think mm -hmm. even with what you were saying before about how hollywood was you know there are 
meaningful and deep and meaty things to say, but we all can't say them in a heavy way. Sometimes you yes. have to say it in a way that's able to be received, that's able to be ingested. It's either fun or captivating, but there is a message and there's a lesson here. So congratulations on Return to Two Town. I hope <laughs> that it's gonna be amazing. And I hope that you stop back here on The Phillips Show and let us know how it's going, because I have a lot more questions for you when it comes to entertainment movies we didn't even talk about video games oh no i i could go off about video the narrative design and video games like what one of one of the jobs i really want if i could ever break into it <laughs> is video games oh the the um there's a, a job called a, a nar narrative designer and narrative director for video games and they're basically yeah. like the, the the overall story designer yeah when you're when you're playing a game they're the one that that sets the pacing and when different information is introduced and I, I would love that i would oh <laughs> well, if you're passionate about it i believe you can do it <laughs> maybe someday <laughs> maybe someday well thank you so much for being here oh thank you for having me i love I, I had so much fun talking with you um at the right writers meeting and i'm i had a blast here just as much so i would love to talk to you again <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, have to, we'll have to schedule that <laughs> thank you to um william Cornwell for just um, his transparency and for his skill, for his craft, for his talent, for his interest in storytelling. As I say all the time, everybody has a story and there's healing, there's hope, there's relief. There are so many things in just the courage to just share what it is. Return to Two Towns will be out. Make sure that you um, visit William Cornwell III and uh, get everything that he has to offer. Make sure you stay tuned to The Phillips Show because we're gonna have him back and we're gonna dive into some video games. So as usual, you are the best you in the world. For more about Phillips Show, please visit www.philipworks.com and I will see you next time here on The Phillips Show. Don't wait.